good friend Richard has outdone himself. He has authored another wonderful book entitled A New Psychology of Human Well-Being. This book explores influences of the ego-soul dynamics on our mental and physical health. Truly a book worthy of your investment of time to read. I hope you will join in on the podcast interview at InsidePersonalGrowth.com or can find us at SoundCloud.com. If you want to learn more about Richard Barrett and his organization, Value Center, please go to www.valuecentre.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy our interview together. And here is the host of Inside Personal Growth, Greg Voison. And I want to thank all of my listeners uh, from around the world who join us on SoundCloud and who join us at Inside Personal Growth to listen to these podcast interviews. We are pushing 582 interviews <clears throat> with authors on subjects of personal growth, wellness, mastery, spirituality, and business. And today we have a returning guest. It's Dr. Edwin A. Locke, PhD. Uh, Dr. Locke is joining us from the Los Angeles area. Good day to you, Dr. Locke. Thank you. Good day to you. Good to have you on Inside Personal Growth. And I'm going to let my listeners know just a little bit about you. I've got your bio here. Dr. Locke is the Dean Professor Emeritus of Leadership and Motivation at the R.H. Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland, College Park. Uh, he received his BA from Harvard in 1960 and his PhD in industrial psychology from Cornell in 1964. Uh, he's published more than 300 chapters, notes, and articles in professional journals on sub such subjects as work motivation, job satisfaction, incentives, and the philosophy of science. He's also the author of 12 books. The one we're gonna be speaking about today is a book called The Selfish Path to Romance, Romance: How to Love with Passion and Reason. And Dr. Locke has a co-author on this, and her name is Ellen Kenner, K-E-N-N-E-R. And, and Ellen has uh, got a radio show as well called The Rational Basis of Happiness. It's a national radio show. You may want to look her up there. And both uh, Dr. Locke and Ellen... Uh, I would assume are objectivist and conference speakers, and you can find this book online at selfish s e l f i s h romance dot com. Well, I think you ought to put some context around this, uh, Doctor Locke, before we start. We ought to give the listeners some context regarding the writing of the book um, with your partner or your co-author. And the connection to the Ayn Rand Foundation and objectivism, because I think that really kind of sets the context for this book called The Selfish Path to Romance. Do you want to just let our listeners know a bit about that? Well, Ayn Rand was a novelist and a philosopher who wrote um, famous best-selling books, including The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. And her goal in writing was to present the ideal man or the ideal woman. And to do that, she had to have a philosophy, uh, which she discovered uh, for herself through her own thinking. Uh, the philosophy says um, reality is real. The only means of knowing reality is reason plus the senses, uh, that man needs a moral code in order to live. Uh, the most important virtue being rationality and other virtues associated with that, such as independence, integrity, 
productiveness, pride, and the like. He believed that uh, the uh, most rational economic system was capitalism and uh, wanted a government that protects individual rights. And she also had a completely original theory of art, which I won't go into here. And uh, so this book was an application of her ideas to the field of romantic love. So tell me, yeah. you want me to keep going? or? Nope, that's good. I think our listeners get a little bit of perspective. And, uh, you know, you, you say in the book that you take a a unique look at how we love uh, altruism. Love's not mysterious. Love and reason are fully compatible. There's quite a few things that people get out of this. But, you know, one thing I pulled from the book right off the bat was that the rate of divorce in the U.S. is about 50%. So that means 50% of all marriages succeed and 50% of all marriages are failing. So that's like one in two. So in your opinion, why do you – yeah, because a lot of yeah, people so stay together who aren't happy. Right, right. So, in your opinion, why do you believe that loving relationships are so challenging for people to maintain? Well, um, it's a difficult thing because both parties have free will and therefore can think for themselves. Uh, parties may have different values and different philosophies. They may have different personalities. They have may have different goals in life. And people over time may change. And it's hard work to keep a relationship thriving over a long period of time. It's, it's just as hard work, in my opinion, as it is to succeed in a career. Uh, you have to really pay attention to it. And people make a lot of mistakes in... Romance, and one of the most important ideas in our book is that romance can be destroyed by two false alternatives. One is altruism, which means the goal in dealing with your spouse is self-sacrifice, and the other, uh, your self-sacrifice to them, and then the other side of that wrong coin is narcissism which means that other people should sacrifice to you because you're the center of the universe. We think both of those methods or moral principles are destructive of romance, and we recommend what we call mutual egoism, which means you really care about the other person getting what they value, and they care about you getting what you value, and both of you try to pursue your values with each other's support and understanding as best you possibly can, even when it can, in some cases can become difficult. But we think um, narcissism and altruism are uh, uh, terrible mistakes and cause nothing but pain. Mutual egoism, if you can make it work by a lot of thinking and problem solving, is, the, is a key to romantic happiness. So mutual egoism uh, versus altruism, uh, narcissism is really a key there. Now, I I happen to read um, in your brief history of romantic love, you speak about the Greeks and the Romans where where women were considered as childbearers and men frequently had relationships with prostitutes and 
confiance and so on. Um, were we meant to be in long-lasting heterosexual relationships in your estimation? Well, the evolutionists like to talk about, well, men are naturally not monogamous. I, when I read those things, I always think they have an ulterior motive, which is to justify their own dishonesty in romance and to justify it. Mm -hmm. But I just, I disagree men and women have the capacity for choice and there's nothing built in that says you are forced by genetics to have a um, single relationship or more. It's something you have to choose. If you choose a permanent, hopefully permanent relationship, such as in marriage or the equivalent to that. If you cheat, it demonstrates a lack of integrity on your part. So that undermines the whole relationship. If you're unhappy, of course, uh, you have the right to ask for a divorce. And of course, many people do. But to stay in it and cheat is undermining the moral basis of a relationship which depends on trust. Mm -hmm. And obviously from an objectivism standpoint or Ayn Rand standpoint, kind of your philosophy, um, it is something that can be maintained, but doing that would, would certainly uh, go against the grain, as they say. Um, you have a statement in the book, when you get to know another person whose values are similar to your own, your ex it's like experience of having a mirror of your own soul. Can you put this in context to to sharing our intimate values with another person mm -hmm. and why you believe this is successful for a great relationship? Yes, this idea of uh, what we call visibility is actually from Aristotle. And in viewing another person whose virtues you share and who responds to your virtues, you have a perspective on yourself that you can't get from the inside of yourself, but you can get it from the outside by that person's appreciation and response to your virtues. This is not quite the same thing as approval as such. Uh, it's more feeling that you can see yourself in their reactions to you, whether intellectually, emotionally, sexually, and uh, visibility is an enormously wonderful thing to have in a romantic relationship, mutual visibility. So uh, that's one of the things you want to strive for when you're developing and wanting to sustain a romantic relationship. And one of the ways you can do this uh, is to tell your partner what you value about them um, and how that makes you feel you have something important in common, such as I really like the way you were honest in that last conversation with their friends and I, I feel visible about my own honesty when I see that in you and see you acting that way. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. What if uh, there's backlash to that sincere and deep honesty? Well, 
Uh, what if there's backlash very, from the other partner about you, you be being so bluntly honest? You have to be very careful about the meaning of honesty. Honesty doesn't mean insults like Donald Trump. Honesty doesn't mean giving unsolicited advice to random strangers. Uh, honesty doesn't mean um, uh, telling people just what you think when they have no desire uh, to have your opinion. Honesty means taking reality seriously, and if somebody wants to know your appraisal of something, uh, telling them the honest truth. And we're we're opposed to things like white lies, which a lot of honest people think you have to have white lies because if your grandmother gives you a really ugly necktie, you can't stand. You have to pretend to like it, or you hurt their feelings. Uh, we disagree. With that view, uh, we would we would say to the grandma, "Thank you for the thought," uh, and then you can drop the subject. Or if they want to push the subject, saying, "Well, you know, grandma, um, I don't really wear ties anymore, but um, I'll probably be able to return this for something else." Uh, so the whole issue of of white lies means faking reality, someone else's feelings, and. Uh, we would be opposed to this. But it doesn't mean being mean. We wouldn't say, Grandma, how can you be so stupid? We'd say, you know, thank you for the thought, uh, but we, we should let you know in the future that um, uh, I don't wear ties or something like that. So yeah, that in, makes... It's I not, think... it's ta- we believe in tact, but not deception. Mm-hmm. So that white lies are not something that you would obviously, it wouldn't matter if it was a gift you were giving or mm-hmm. trying to be honest with somebody, mm-hmm. you wanted to at least tell them the truth, but as you're saying, without hurting them. I think that's a, that's a key thing. I'm assuming they want to know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are certain situations in which you would say nothing uh, because it wasn't mm-hmm. addressed to you. Right, 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 right. You don't pretend. uh, I mean, let's say you had a friend who was uh, extremely religious, and they were saying, "Of course, you see my point, don't you?" And you would honestly say, "I'm afraid I don't. I have a different view than you do. I'm not sure if you want to discuss it, but I don't agree with your particular views on this subject." So that's a polite way to do it. And it's it's solicited, not unsolicited. And you can, if they want to, you can go on from there, or you can not. Mm-hmm. Well, so the book has this part section in it, a lot of it about romantic love, and you say that it's the most selfish of all emotions. Um, mm-hmm. You also state that true mom- romantic love is egoist. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you believe that? But that this is true. Some people might look at that and go. Well, that that doesn't seem right. Well, what does it mean to actually love somebody? It means that the other person is of value. Now, mm-hmm. we use the metaphor, we use the crude metaphor, somewhat inadequate metaphor of of having a garden. If you love your garden selfishly, you want it to thrive. You get pleasure from thriving. So, Going back to romance, if you love somebody, you want them to thrive. You want them to be happy because it gives you happiness. Uh, let's take a, 
a very obvious example. If you love your partner, you will enjoy selfishly giving them sexual pleasure as well as getting it, and they will do the same on their side. So it will be of value to you to say, wow, that's wonderful. I gave them pleasure. They liked it so much, and uh, you know, I love them so much. I'm so glad they actually had that pleasure. It's like enjoying the fact that they had a success in their career. Uh, why would you care? Because you value them and their happiness in life is personally important to you. Now, observe, this is different than loving all comers equally. You would not feel this way toward a random stranger. You might feel, that's nice, good for you, but it wouldn't be the same thing as if it was somebody you personally loved. And nor, nor would you be able to be attracted to somebody to whom you felt indifferent. Imagine the idea of real altruism and you met Sally, Sally Joe, said, Sally, I don't really like your looks, I don't like your values, I don't like your intelligence, I don't like your education, I don't like your personality style, I don't like how you dress, but it's my duty to make you happy, so I'm going to ask you to marry me. Now, think of how disgusting that would be for both parties, because mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't value her. She means nothing to you. So making her happy would not be important. So love is a very, very selfish thing. It means you care about them as a critical part of your life. It's a, it's a good point. And I think that um, for myself and for my listeners, it, it, it gives you obviously these values match are so important. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of what happens is people don't spend time to really understand or what those values are that each partner has at a very deep level. Exactly. You, you mentioned, and you mentioned in the book that the real love is based not on a mystery or fantasy, but on causality. Um, yes. How is it, how is this? So when we hear of so many love affairs that seem to be based on, mystery and fun and fantasy Mm -hmm. that you're basically making this statement that real love is, is based on causality. You know, you hear people say, well, it was Mm -hmm. love at first sight or it was, it was this, it was that. Well, if it was love at first sight, you didn't have any time to really determine what the values were. Here's the difficulty. Emotions are caused by subconscious mental appraisals. So they're identifiable, but what you experience when you see somebody, you meet Joe and you have Joe pleasure or Joe happiness or Joe attraction, your subconscious is feeding you information. And when you first meet somebody, there's usually a heavy emphasis on looks and, um, you know, the friendliness of the style and uh, whether they seem like they're with it or out of it. Uh, but uh, that's, that can be a starting point. Sometimes it goes somewhere, and sometimes it doesn't go somewhere, but you need to get more information about the person besides what you're going to get on the first discussion. Um, many first dates, most first dates flop. Um, 
some lead to long-term marriage. But you have to know what it is you're responding to. It has to be deeper, although looks are not irrelevant in romance. It has to be deeper than just that. You can't mm-hmm. learn about character too easily on the first date. You might. Somebody might give away something. But usually you just have to learn to observing them in their everyday actions. Uh, so there's so many things you don't know when you first meet somebody. So you have to... And, you, and as you learn more, your love response will change. Uh, it may go from bad to good. It may go from good to bad. It may go from good to indifference. Um, because you're accumulating more information and your subconscious is making more and more judgments. But if you don't identify those, then it's a very dangerous pro- process because you can be reacting uh, solely on the basis of emotion and not integrating the whole person. And you, so, you, might, you might miss, go ahead. for instance, red, red flags about the person. So you have a great time, and then you find out um, they've gone bankrupt twice. Uh, after the third date, well, is there going to be a problem here with money management, which can be devastating to romance? Uh, yeah, and you, obviously, if if you have a value, high value around money, and you are a good money manager, the person you're falling in love with is is not. You obviously need to either rectify that or understand mm-hmm. that that could be an ultimate yeah. problem. It's not. It's not the right? valuing of money as such. It's the need in a relationship to, to have uh, trust in the money management issue and because, you know, a lot of romantic things are not caused by sex problems. A lot of romantic uh-huh. problems are caused by money problems. Uh, one mm-hmm. is dishonest or cheating or spending too much or not saving or making foolish investments or borrowing money from the other one and then losing it. So that's just one aspect of a relationship. So that's one of the things you need to know, or let's say you, after five dates, you decide to have sex and he's completely indifferent to your pleasure. So he gets his, totally ignores whether you're enjoying it. So that's a problem. What does that Mm -hmm. mean? You know, so you better talk about it. (laughs) Say, what is this? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you you talk about to have a passionate life requires learning how to make yourself into a passionate valuer. And that's what we've been talking about here is, is passionate valuer. I thought that was an interesting term. Then you go on to state that there are three most self-destructive habits that kill our capacity to enjoy life. What are those? I mean, if we got to enjoy life and to enjoy life, we were going to be a passionate valuer. What are these destructive habits that kill our capacity to enjoy life? I, I forget the ones that I listed, but certainly one would be altruism, because it would mean mm-hmm. that you have to give up all your values because only other people have a right to values, and you don't. So your life is serving others. So that's that would be destructive of your capacity to value. Um, mm-hmm. Other would be to uh, you know, not have a firm. Uh, code of values at all, uh, living in the moment uh, by impulse. Uh, another mm-hmm. could be a, mm-hmm. a lack of of moral 
integrity uh, because therefore your moral values uh, have no meaning and no effect on your life. So uh, another one could be psychological problem of emotional repression where for whatever reasons, maybe from your childhood, you didn't want yourself to feel anything and that's very hard in a romantic relationship. So uh, plenty of things can get in the way you're not aware. So now you you have this thing called going on automatic in your estimation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the ways to keep a loving relationship from going on automatic, and I, I'll just mm-hmm. say this for my listeners: it's kind of like, hey, you're you're taking the other person for granted. You, you, exactly. you know, you're you're not doing anything different to fuel the fire of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Where where in in your estimation, what can people do um, to keep the kindling of the passion going in the romance um, versus having it go on automatic? Well, I think very important thing is that both parties um, continue to grow, hopefully in the same direction and don't become stagnant in their own lives. Uh, Value-seeking isn't something that has to stop when you're 30 years old. And there can be many, many kinds of values, including, you know, intellectual and values pertaining to hobbies and actions and the like. So if if you stop looking for new values, um, then you can be simply functioning on whatever your subconscious feed to you at the moment. And especially in a romance, you want to look for values that you uh, as much as possible share in common and take your time to uh, pursue those. But if you become passive about your life, especially mentally passive, then everything mm-hmm. goes on uh, goes on automatic and you can become not only bored with each other, you can become bored with yourself because you have nothing to say. Right. Right. Well, that happens, I think, a lot in society. And I think that mm-hmm. people, that's why they find other stimuluses, alcohol, drugs, uh, yep. additional yep. sexual relationships. Uh, they find work, uh, the workaholics, whatever it is to kind of deaden the senses, uh, so to say, because uh, there's some high levels of unhappiness in other areas of their life. Now, you have a, you have a whole chapter or more dedicated to how to experience better sex in our relationship. What mm-hmm. advice for our listeners uh, would you give them about not letting their relationship go to this platonic view of sex? You mm-hmm. call it a platonic view. Well, I think, I mean, obviously you've got to be attracted uh, and it means you both have to value each other and you have to take some without being vain, some pride in how you look. Um, but when it comes to actual sex, so you've got to you know, have some, some value in the other person that you see. But when it comes to actual sex, the most important thing is communication. And most mm-hmm. people, due to long history, influenced especially by religion, is it's kind of a forbidden topic. Uh, the Catholics have had a thousand-year war in sexual pleasure. 
uh, claiming mm-hmm. only really for having babies. Uh, so you've got to view sexual pleasure as an end in itself, and you've got to communicate what you like, what you don't like, uh, what they like, what they don't like, what things you can do that would be interesting and exciting uh, together. Give feedback. You know, I liked really when you did that. I didn't like it when you did that. Could you move your hand over there? Could you change positions a little bit? So being totally open about communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, and then you have, and then you have to figure out, um, you know, the uh, uh, particular style. Now you read things on the internet, which are always arbitrary. Uh, never schedule sex, and then the next day you read on the internet, always schedule sex. Well, the answer is neither of the above. You have to figure out what works for you. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no rules. There's no rules about that. Uh, you have to figure out what's best for you, in particular. Uh, so, so a lot of communication and openness. Uh, and, you know, given that you have that strong attachment to each other, and and then caring about giving the other person pleasure as you care about your own. So you think, you know, sweetheart, was that good for you? Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. I'm so glad. I love giving you pleasure. And the same on their side. So these mm-hmm. are some of the mm-hmm. important things involved. Well, I think that those elements which, you know, Obviously, uh, anybody in sex therapy or a psychologist would probably provide you with much of that advice. I think it's extremely valuable because I think yeah. people fall into habits. They go into these yeah. just habits of and certain behaviors, and they don't even understand that they're doing them. And I think they need exactly. to be um, uh, awakened to and aware of actually what they do. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things you have this this chapter on is this, you know, you speak to the listeners about the causes of conflict in relationships and mm-hmm. how to resolve them. Now, we could probably speak forever about that because that's the true causality of uh, many relationships uh, breaking down. And yeah. I think that this constant conflict about something or bickering or um, someone trying to be right and the other person always being wrong. Those are probably the biggest uh, challenges to keeping a a sustainable, long-term loving relationship. What advice would you give, Dr. Lowe? Well, the first first thing is all relationships will have disagreements. Your spouse never disagrees with you. It's going to only mean one thing. They're completely selfless. They have no mind, no values, don't care about anything. That's 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 a, a kind of um, a selfless pro- issue. So you're going to ha- if the two people have minds and values, there's going to be disagreements. Now, first thing to know is that a very important factor in determining how that will turn out is how you deal with the disagreements. And we have mm-hmm. a thing. Uh, in our book, um, for instance, don't use you language. You are so stupid. You are so inconsiderate. Use I language. I felt badly when you were rude to Mr. Jones. Something like that. Uh, as opposed right. to you're, you are such a rude person. So I language is the most important. And good listening to make sure you understand what it is uh, that 
they're upset about. And then uh, being sure that you're both egoistic, uh, can you figure out if you have enough in common left in your relationship to work out something that will make you both happy? Now, sometimes you can't. Uh, it doesn't work. So that's why you get divorced. Um, you can't figure it out. Um, but if you're going to make it work, you've got to accept the fact there will be disagreements and deal with them openly and and uh, with consideration and good listening and try to figure out what can we do to fix this. If you use you language and get attacking and sarcastic and angry, then that's a downward spiral. It just aggravates the situation even yep. worse. Now, well, that's great advice um, for my listeners. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, um, Dr. Locke. The time just seems to fly. We have actually uh, been on for the allotted time. Uh, for my listeners, the book has been The Selfish Path to Romance and the How to Love with Passion and Reason. And this is, we've been on with Dr. Edwin A. Locke. And Ellen Kinner is his co-author on this book. And there is a website for the book, and that is www.selfishromance.com. And Dr. Locke, is there anything that uh, you would like to leave our listeners with, um, as parting thoughts, um, something you'd like to tell them? Well, I, I think maybe one thing... Think, do the do the same kind of thinking about your romance that you than you do about your career or your child rearing. So put that mental work into it to try to make it as good as possible or successful, and don't let it drift along, uh, which can lead to stagnation and uh, boredom. Yeah, keep some keep some liveliness in it and some passion in it and. You know, try and figure out the ways to do that. So, and the book is really, in other words, for my listeners, if you want, this book really gives a lot of very sound, practical advice on um, not only growing your relationship, but maintaining it and keeping the passion in it, both from a sexual standpoint and, and also mind stimulation. I think some of the thing that happens is sometimes there's a big gap between people's, um, willingness to continue to grow um, at, at a mental level as well. And when that happens, I think that can be very destructive to a relationship um, if one person is growing and the other person is stagnating. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the causes of marital um, failure is one person outgrows the other. I've seen that happen many times. Yes, definitely. Or well, Dr. Locke, grow. thanks for joining. Okay. Yeah. You can both ahead, grow, of course, but grow in different directions, too. That right, can right. That's true. That's true. Different philosophies, different mindsets that are not willing to meet or um, mm -hmm. compromise, which I think is important. Well, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending some time with our listeners uh, explaining your new book, The Selfish Path to Romance. I've recently had the pleasure of interviewing Don Crean, the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. The foundation has released a new book, which is a compilation of speeches that Napoleon Hill did at various points in his career. One of the speeches inspired the famous book, 
Think and Grow Rich, which is an all-time classic and great book. I hope you enjoy my interview with Don and will obtain a copy of Napoleon Hill's Greatest Speeches. If you want to learn more about the Napoleon Hill Foundation, please go to www.naphill.org to learn more about the book, audio recordings, and courses that Napoleon Hill Foundation offers. Thank you, 